do you guys want me to like stop talking? <laughs> like, no. How does this work? I don't want to interrupt you guys. <laughs> we cut each other off all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah. we're good. we're just gonna do our little, you know banter intro and then we'll actually introduce you once we start okay. the podcast. yeah so, people so. are just gonna listen to this <laughs> ghostly voice happening over the sound they're waves like, and they're like oh, who's that who's that who ghost be? is there a ghost are they haunted the podcast is haunted now and then we're like no guys it's our friend and they're like oh okay our listeners are kind of stupid just kidding don't don't, I'm don't just say that i'm kidding i'm we kidding i'm kidding, I'm kidding. Look, whatever, unless they want to be stupid, and then they're that. You are whatever you want to be, listeners. I swear. I promise. We support you. <laughs> we do. I'm Shelby. I'm Sam. It's the Rom Complex. One, two, one, two, three, four. introduce our very special guest guys we're really excited because i have a very good friend coming on the podcast today uh she is a writer she teaches screenwriting and sketch comedy in south florida this is my very good friend suki lan hi wow hi, cheers 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 audience applause audience yes. applause. oh there you go there you go cheers i got cheers. i got wine we're in it we're doing I'm it. Drinking. water i chugged a beer before this and i was like i should slow it down <laughs> chugged like who no, told you to chug it i Did was you just, just thirsty sam <laughs> what do you want from me <laughs> i just like imagine that you're like okay i got a podcast gotta chug a beer like, honestly i had that thought i was like i should take a shot of vodka before i start this because i'm gonna be so nervous no. but <laughs> i'm drinking vodka now so i'm sipping it like a she's, like a classy, classy human what did you make suki's really good at making fancy drinks what is that <laughs> you're she gonna is. be so ashamed of me it's just vodka it's oh. literally just vodka <laughs> You could have literally just lied to me, uh, and I would have believed you. But guys, aside from just vodka, she's very she likes to use like elderflower liqueur and things. And anytime someone uses that, I'm like, you're really fancy if you're using that. That's like a fancy person uh, added additive, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Liqueur, yeah. Even it's called a liqueur, which is like stupid because there's like liquor, like vodka, and then a liqueur is a fancy way of saying. Not really alcoholic, but here to make your drink better. So yeah. it is bougie yeah. AF. We love bougie. I love it. Mm-hmm. We love bougie I, here at the Rom Complex. <laughs> we do. Um, we're we we have friends in high places and low places, all uh, up and down the yeah. spectrum. 
we have people who use elderflower liqueur and people who chug beers right before uh exactly (laughs) (laughs) now Sydney, Uh, you you picked a movie for us this week and i was very excited because it's a movie i like a lot i saw Mm -hmm. it in theaters i'm a fan of the stars um and writers um so we're talking about the big sick You know, can I be really honest? I didn't Mm -hmm. see this movie for the first time until, what year did it come out? I didn't even look. Wow. 27? Yeah. I think I saw it for the first time last year. I think whenever they put it on Amazon Mm -hmm. Prime, I was like, oh, I've never seen this movie. I have to watch it. Um, And the first time I saw it was not expecting this movie. I was like, uh, coma? What? What is going (laughs) on? Um, I mean, I loved it the first time I saw it, but then it was just so funny watching this movie again for this episode. I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> this movie does get pretty dark, but like hilariously dark. I don't know if that's even possible, but hilariously happens. dark, dangerously <laughs> cheesy. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a super unconventional rom-com. I wasn't even sure if it was a rom-com to begin with. Like when I talked to you, I was like, I don't, I really like this movie, but I don't know if it fits like the genre of your podcast, but I think it's a rom-com. Oh yeah. No, I put it in the rom-com category. There's rom, there's com. Exactly. (laughs) Suki, what made you pick this movie? Um, well, okay, so the most recent story is that, um, so I've, I'm teaching a screenwriting class at a university, and I noticed that our syllabus didn't, so basically, I have to take on the syllabus that's going to prepare the students for the intermediate and advanced classes, so I can't just, like, teach whatever I want anymore, and the syllabus is pretty strict in terms of, like, what we're t- teaching, what we're watching, and I realized mm-hmm. there just wasn't a lot of BIPOC movies in there. And that really bothered me uh, because I am Asian American. I'm a woman of color. And so I wanted to have more diverse films in there. And so I reached out to my community on social media and I asked for movies that had a very clear, basic three-act structure that like any beginner baby screenwriter could follow along with. And one of the movies that um, one of my good friends recommended was The Big Sick. And I was like, oh my God, yes, because I had seen this. Um, around the time it came out, it was when I got engaged, and I remember seeing this and being so like floored by like I felt like somebody had like reached into my brain and like pulled out <laughs> <laughs> all the things that like I never was able to like articulate. Um, mm-hmm. So that's how I I think it was on my mind when you reached out to me, Sam, and you asked me what movie I wanted to watch. And <laughs> so I, I was in the middle of planning my my curriculum, and I was just like, yeah, the big sick. But the um, what drew me to this movie was, like I said, like I got engaged in 2018, and um, <laughs> my my parents did not approve of the engagement. And so mm-hmm. when I saw this movie, I was like, oh my god, this is like literally my life right now, and <laughs> just like sobbing throughout the whole movie. I thought it was, I think it like was nominated for an Academy Award, but it was just yeah. like so like painfully truthful and just mm-hmm. like. I thought the acting was amazing like nothing was like over the top it wasn't like this glamorous like Hollywood movie it was just so like guttural and I feel like that particular um like cultural aspect of Asian American culture isn't really explored in a lot of American films mm-hmm. so yeah this is just a, a great movie <laughs> <laughs> it is no honestly it's it is one of those movies that you 
I, I think this is one of the movies I think of when you talk about things like representation too, because you, like we know of Asian American cultures, what we are shown, right? And like, I think up until this point, you know, there's the whole idea of arranged marriages in this movie. It's obviously a big mm-hmm. plot point. Um, and I feel like even before I saw this movie or like when I was younger, you think of arranged marriages and it, you, there's this one way that you think of them. It's like, you know, you're forcing these two people to get married. They've never even met. They, you know, they don't like each other, whatever. I don't know. Some like really stereotypical version of what we think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in writing this movie and getting this movie out there for more people to see, it's like, it's not as like, like weirdly oppressive as people call it. Like there's still a lot of expectation, like cultural expectation from the parents and like all that kind of stuff. But it's like, I feel like before the, like before movies like this, you know, my 12 year old brain who first heard about, um, arranged marriages it was just like this archaic like almost like I just imagined it only taking place in like the 1600s like why are they still (laughs) doing this you know what I mean like it makes it more real and grounded and and it's able to like almost explain but not like explain what's going on but not be like and this is how this happened you know what I mean they're just like okay this is this is what it looks like in modern times yeah yeah for sure and I, I should also mention, because no one can see me, <laughs> that I, so my mom is Thai and my dad's Cambodian, so we're Southeast Asian. And um, this is, arranged marriage exists in a lot of Asian countries in Southeast Asia, but I think it's not as strong as it is in South Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my culture, it, it's a thing, but it's not like as prevalent or as heavy as you know how it is in um, Kumail's like Pakistani culture mm-hmm. and also have you guys seen uh Indian matchmaking on Netflix no <laughs> I've heard it's really I've great. heard of it but I've not watched it yeah it, it's like what you were saying Sam like I think it is great for people that aren't super familiar with it and it's mm-hmm. a fun w- way to look at it and it's a little to be honest like watch it it's gonna be a little inconclusive because i think they like blew their budget on traveling because they travel like all (laughs) over the world to make this but it's super fascinating for people that aren't familiar with uh, Mm -hmm. arranged marriages yeah yeah that is a good point is when when you're a kid hearing about it you think of um at least me you know in my white household like it was always (laughs) thought of as like um you would just hear arranged marriages as this like negative thing and then when I was in high school I dated a guy um whose parents were like he was like first generation Italian like his parents immigrated from Italy and Mm -hmm. they were very came from very religious families and they actually had an arranged marriage and like a bunch of his dad's brothers married his mom's sisters. So he had all of these, like... Yeah, because it was all arranged like yeah. that. And they had, like, a happy relationship. It wasn't, like... I don't know. It kind of really... It really kind of takes it and contextualizes it for you as not always this, like, oppressive, bad thing. Like, for some people, it's the right thing. It's what they want to do. They want their yeah. family involved in choosing their life partner because that's someone who's becoming a part of their family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that in in the movie they show like what a, a good, healthy arranged marriage looks like as well with Kumail's brother. I thought that was really smart. Mm-hmm, so it wasn't mm-hmm. gonna be like all like anti uh arranged marriage culture. Yeah. 
I also, I want to talk about how, speaking of his brother, how fucking hilarious the family is in this movie. Yeah. Like, Camille's <laughs> family, it's, they are so funny. Like, they're, because you would think, like, oh, yeah, he's playing himself, right? He's playing a stand-up comedian. So, obviously, he has, like, his funny little quips and his little bits that he's doing. But, like, oh, my God, his, like, <laughs> his dad just, like, comes in with the one-liners. And, like, they're all just so, so funny. And I'm just, like, I want to hang out with his family. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that it was, like, just a, a normal muslim family like there was nothing like it wasn't like oh let's like amp up the like muslimness of it all it's just like a normal yeah. muslim family living in america having dinner doing normal family things mm-hmm. right and i i think what it really shows is the and you've probably you probably know all about this sugi from teaching screenwriting but just like having <laughs> how a lot of times you see these kind of really generalized characters um and they're just kind of this like flat really just broad picture of what a family looks like and here you have that specificity that makes it really personal and also makes it relatable so instead of it being something like a broad depiction of someone's family you have like a very specific family they have personalities they're acting a certain way and that's what makes it relatable rather than it being just like what could reach the most amount of people so that they understand it's like well let's take some specificity and that makes it more interesting yeah I think that probably just comes from the fact that this is his story like their story Camille's and and Emily's story so it's like he's not just writing a family kind of like his family. He's like writing, they're writing his actual family. You know what I mean? Like, and they're like, no, this is, he would totally say, you know what I mean? So I think that definitely lends itself to, to the specificity of it all because they're like, but what would my brother say? There it is. That's what he would say. Truth and comedy. Yeah. I feel like the best writing always comes from it sounds really cheesy, but like from a place of truth. So like when you're improvising or when you're writing anything, like write your own mom, write your own dad. Like you don't yeah. have to reach very far to create a father character. Can I share right. a fun fact about about the big sick that I learned yes. recently? So uh, as you both know, it is based on his life story with his wife. So the coma actually happened and the wife's name is actually Emily. But what I thought was hilarious was that Kumail was pitching this this movie that's called Goch, oh, sorry. Camille was pitching this movie called Ghost Witch to Judd Apatow. And Judd okay. Apatow was not interested. And so Camille <laughs> was like, uh, uh. And then he, he like just started talking about like his wife being in a coma during a very formative time in their relationship. And Apatow was like, I like that better. And then that's how <laughs> the big sick was born. It was born from truth and trying to save a deal. <laughs> right, he was like, right. no, 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 no. Uh, how how well, can I not be embarrassed right now? <laughs> now, no Sumi, I switch. have a question for you. Um, do you believe in love at first sight? Oh yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I used to Just not. Yes. Just <laughs> we, I don't yes. think we've ever had a like a, a full out yes from any of our guests before. You're the first. Really? Yeah. yeah. Have you experienced love at first sight? Oh yeah, baby. <laughs> I think so. I I this is gonna sound like kind of weird and witchy, but I, I I'm very 
oh, how do I explain this? So I think I'm a clear empath. Like I can yes. just really feel emotions. Like I can, this, this is also going to sound judgy, but like, I feel like I can tell who you are by just like meeting you or seeing you for the first time. And like, eight times out of 10, I'm correct. Like I'm like spot on about like who, who you are, where you've been, et cetera. And like my mom has this too. And we've like talked about this before. Um, but uh, the first time like I ever like saw Anthony, I was like, Anthony's her husband for those of you that don't know. <laughs> yeah, her yeah. Hus- they're married. So they're I guess married. it worked, but whatever. <laughs> she just showed us her ring. I was in the wedding. It was so fun. Anyway, the first yeah, time you saw was. Anthony. Yeah, the first time I saw Anthony, uh, we were at a, our graduate film school orientation, and I like saw him from across like this massive like uh, hall, this lecture hall, and I was like, "We're gonna be really, really tight." But I didn't know, like in my heart, I knew that we were gonna be tight, but I didn't actually know what that meant. Um, and we got super close. Like he was kind of, you know, he's very shy, and I'm not. Um, so <laughs> I like I just was very drawn to him, and I couldn't explain why. Um, And it wasn't even just like physicality. Like I knew just from seeing him that I was like, he's a good person. Like I hadn't even talked to him yet. I hadn't, (laughs) you know, exchanged any words with him. I just saw him. I was like, he's a really good person that I want to hang out with. Um, Yeah. And yeah, so I I do believe it's there. You know, I, I definitely understand if some people are like, no, I don't believe that. But I think I like, it wasn't sight. It was more like heart. Like I could, if my heart had eyeballs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe, heart's sight. <laughs> maybe love at first sight is like a product of being able to read people really well. So since you have that ability, love at first sight is totally possible for you. But maybe mm-hmm. for someone like me, who's not as good at judging character, it wouldn't be possible. <laughs> I feel like your whole relationship with Anthony is kind of like, because we usually ask people if they like have a rom, if they've ever experienced a rom-com moment. And I feel like your relationship with Anthony is my favorite kind of rom-com, friends to lovers, that's what we're going to call it. (laughs) And because you guys were, because you were uh, in another relationship when you first met Anthony, you guys became super close, like best, bestie friends. Um, And you ended your other relationship and went, and now you're married. And so I think you, uh, like that is, I feel like the progression up to that yeah. is like when I tell people about, oh yeah, like when I was telling people about going to your wedding, I was like, oh my God, they have the cutest story. And I feel like that is, <laughs> that's such a rom-com thing when you can be like, oh, my friend's like love story is really cute. That just means it can be oh. made into a movie. Yeah, that's a plot. You have the We plot. are working on a movie. There um, you go. <laughs> that's so it's, a home, it's a Lifetime movie, a Hallmark movie. Yeah, it's, it's, it's written for, for that demographic, but we'll Perfect. see. We're going to write it good because we're good writers, like humble brag. We're going to write it good, and then we're going <laughs> to yeah. sell it to whoever, and then they can do whatever the hell they want with right. it. <laughs> That's great. You, you, you're just going to make something you're proud of, and then someone will pay you for it, and then it's not yours anymore. You're the like, no, dream. do whatever. Yeah, yo, I got honestly. student loans to pay off, so I don't right. care. Like, <laughs> which are my love story? It's fine. Sometimes we just need to sell out, you know? We need to sell yeah. out to pay the loans off, and then you can have your artist integrity. Like, who cares? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've written some, like, garbage shit that, like, got, got, I got paid for. I got money for, and I have no shame. Like, I'll continue writing garbage as long as someone's paying me. Yeah. Who, ca- yes. who cares? Get Ugh. it. So I guess we should talk about this movie. 
Yeah. <laughs> like what? the actual plot, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So you, you have, talk to, <laughs> uh, you know, aspiring stand-up comedian Camille Nanjiani, played by Camille Nanjiani, <laughs> played by played by successful comedian Camille Nanjiani. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> in Chicago, I have to say though that I forgot this movie took place in Chicago, and then when I realized it, you know, in the first ten seconds of the movie, I got so excited because honestly, I miss Chicago so much. That's uh, a great, Aww. it's a great city, and just driving around, and I'm like, oh, look at him driving. I used to drive for Lyft, so I can like, I can you know feel for him when he's driving through like the Navy Pier area. Uh, to pick up people and drop people off. I was like, I've done that. I'm here. I'm with you. I got you. Uh, yeah. I didn't know that you drove for Lyft. I did. did Back in the day when I was very poor. I'm I'm still very poor. I'm going to that information away and bring it up later. (laughs) Yeah, so he meets this girl, Emily, based on uh, his actual wife. Emily. Emily Emily B. Gordon. (laughs) But in the movie, she's Emily Gardner, um, and she's a student, and they have a one-night stand, sort of, and they both kind of agree that they're never going to see each other or talk to each other again, um, because they're neither of them are, like, ready for a relationship right now. Right. Um, but that is not what happens. They keep hanging out <laughs> and have a really good... They have really great rapport. I mean, you can see it. This movie, the script is so... Yeah. Like, I'm sure that the director encouraged them to, like, improvise and everything because the dialogue is so natural and so Mm -hmm. funny that you can Mm -hmm. tell that a lot of care was put into, like, what people are actually doing in the scenes to show this, like, very natural relationship. Yeah, it, like, totally pulled at my heartstrings. Like, I – because we see these rom-coms with, like, not to say that, like, Kumail and, like, Zoe Kazan are not beautiful people, but, mm-hmm. like, we see these, like, gorgeous, like, rom-com meet-cutes, and we're like, oh, my God, they're so hot together. Like, I want to look like that. <laughs> but these people are, like, normal-looking. Like, they're normal. Like, I have a friend that looks like Zoe. I have a friend that looks like Kumail. And, like, their banter was just like, oh, my God, this is, like, the cutest couple ever. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. So immediately sparks were flying but I do have to say I do have to say I'm gonna critique I'm hot take right now no this movie um kind of falls into the the trap that a lot of rom-coms fall into but you forgive it because it's Kumail it has that creepy factor because it's after they have sex for the first time and she's like oh okay like I'm gonna go and she calls an uber and he is the uber like he picks it up which is like played for laughs because it's really funny she was like did you have that on the entire time (laughs) like we were fucking and he was like uh yeah but i just i I didn't i didn't look at it you know like it's (laughs) it's really funny but just this like i'm thinking real world application like obviously you can tell that they are super into each other off the bat but like in an event in an instance where you were just hooking up with someone you were like this is just a one-night stand not trying to do anything um, and then a situation like that were to happen where he would actually, like, be your Uber home. And, like, <laughs> now you know where I live. And, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's – there rom-coms do this all the time where in the world of the movie we're like, that's really cute. Like, you know, there's no problems here. But in real life I'm like, oh, I don't know if I would be okay with that happening to me. <laughs> that's yeah. a great point. I didn't think about that, how now he knows where she lives. It's like that could be <laughs> – 
That's that, yeah. That could be dangerous. <laughs> True. Yeah. So they keep hanging out, and Kumail keeps um, not telling his family about Emily because right. his mom's trying to set him up with a Pakistani girl, as they do in his family. It worked out really well for his brother, and Camille just can't seem to want that, but he also does not tell anyone that that's not what he wants, and he just right. lets it happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he has his little, he has a little, like, collection of the photographs of all the women that his mother accidentally, I'm doing that in air quotes, nobody can see me but you guys, <laughs> accidentally dropped by while they were eating dinner. Um, and he just keeps them in a, in a box, which is kind of like, I don't, I mean, uh, I, I guess I just don't get it. I'm like, okay, but you're not actually planning to talk to these women, but I guess... You have to keep up appearances, but like, who are you really keeping appearances up to? No one's gonna look in your box except for your white girlfriend later, and you guys get into a big fight about it. <laughs> I think he did sort of have the idea that, like, he was, I don't think from the beginning of the movie, he was like, oh, I'm not gonna have an arranged marriage. I think he was planning to, like, go along with it at some, or he figured, oh, someday I'll, I'll want this, or I'll, like, right. meet someone. Who wants it just because that's what he would he has to do to keep his family um he definitely didn't expect to meet someone like emily who he connected with so well so i think he kept them just out of like a momentum thing like he thought that someday maybe he would have Have to to actually yeah have to confront it um but that kind of indecision is what really dug him deeper into a hole both with his family and with Emily <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and I I feel like in in Asian culture too sometimes it's just easier to lie than it is to <laughs> deal with the consequences of your parents wrath like I was a uh I don't I don't think I was a pathological liar I was a very good liar like mm-hmm. all throughout high school all throughout college um, and it was, it was literally what I had to do so that I could live my life. Like, and I wasn't doing anything terrible. I wasn't like out, like doing drugs or whatever, but it would be like, oh, I want to, I want to spend the night at my friend's house. I'm going to say that I'm working late at Abercrombie and just leave my friend's <laughs> house early. But it was also, I can like preserve like myself and my integrity. And it was like right. sort of an act of self-care. So I think that happens with a lot of, um, children of immigrants too is that like mm-hmm. you have to like construct a story or or I don't know build this like this narrative for yourself that will protect you and then you know like you said Shelby like it you're just digging yourself into a hole mm-hmm. and you're gonna have to confront it at the end of the day but it, it feels nice in the meantime yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I got away with it <laughs> like right now I don't have to deal with it I do I I, I <laughs> I see some of that too. Just like the the lie's not going to fix everything, but it's going to push it off. So it's mm-hmm. like I don't have to deal with that right now. Oh yeah, yeah. Exactly. I can deal with it later. But the lie will just give me that buffer, that buffer of time, so that I can actually figure out how I'm going to handle it later. I guess. Oh yeah, I love avoiding stuff and putting it <laughs> off for later. <laughs> I do it all the time. <laughs> I, I think I saw a tweet from you the other day that was like, 
if I have something to do, I'll spend the whole day avoiding doing it. And if I have two things to do, I'll do the one thing and then spend the whole day avoiding the other. <laughs> yeah, I love that you quoted my tweet at me on our podcast. I, I did. <laughs> I see your tweets. I do. I do. Now you got to plug her handle. It's complete. What? Oh, what? You have to plug her handle now, now that you've referenced her tweet. R2 Shelby 2. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram. (laughs) On Instagram and Twitter. Uh, She's really famous. R2 Shelby 2. I'm not famous. But my friend. She's famous. My friend who's um, like a sex worker and adult film actress, she retweeted something I said, and then I got a bunch of dudes fall like random that's guys. amazing that's oh my awesome. god can we get her to fall okay i need to i'm gonna it's kate right is it yeah, kate i'm yeah. gonna tell kate to quote tweet me on something so i can get a bunch of randoms yeah, to follow like, me if you i don't know like if you're like i i just got my masters and have her retweeted or something and then get yeah be really like nice uh, man. right <laughs> you'll maybe have like two reply guys telling you that you should post pictures of your boobs and then yeah yeah, yeah. yeah the rest send of- nudes send nudes <laughs> i'll probably get them but it's fine I, i'll just ignore it um so anyway they're dating and <laughs> she um, right <laughs> the things really blow up. Um, I love this part of the movie when she finds this like horde of pictures of mm-hmm. Pakistani women <laughs> that yeah. Camille is keeping. Um, and she's like, "What's going on?" And then what they realize is that he's keeping her from his family, mm-hmm. and he's keeping the fact that his family wants him to have an arranged marriage from her. So she finds out in this moment that, first of all, her boyfriend, you know, is like, has not told the most important people in his life about her, which must mm-hmm. feel like shit. And then she even says that, like, this secret that he was keeping is something that would prevent them from having a future together, mm-hmm. which, which I thought was, you know, that really just really hit the, hit the point of it is that the real problem with him not telling her about this is that the fact that he still thinks he might someday have an arranged marriage is basically like the opposite of having a future with her. And if Mm -hmm. I were in a relationship with someone and they knew we weren't going to have a future together, I would want to know because I wouldn't want to be in that relationship anymore. Like, why do you think I'm here? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. That's so I'm so glad you bring that up because I watched this with Anthony um, because before I watched it alone and I wanted to get in a like American person's perspective on it. Um, I don't know if that's like politically correct because I'm American too. (laughs) A white Um, American. A a white American. I wanted to get a a white American's perspective on it. And I was on on Team Kumail. Like I was like, Emily's being so like she's not being very understanding or compassionate. Like if she would just shut up and listen to him and <laughs> let him explain. Like so, you see, like I was like totally like I get I get why Kumail did that. Like just like everyone stop fighting, please, and like let him <laughs> explain himself. I do think though the end of that conversation is what I would take away as be like I think. I don't know. I don't honestly know how I would react if I found out that the guy I'd been seriously dating for months had like no had plans to go through with arrangement. Like I can't say what I would do. But at the end of that conversation, she point blank asks him, um, is there I wrote it down, can you imagine a world in which we end up together? 
Mm-hmm. And his response is, I don't know. Yeah. And the realest part of me is like, I barely know what I'm going to do tomorrow. So like, <laughs> I can't fault him for that. But I also, the girl part of me, <laughs> the girl mm-hmm. part of my brain is like, I don't want someone who's not sure about me. I want someone who knows that at the end of the day, regardless of, like, I wouldn't want him to lose his family and all that kind of stuff, but, like, the idea that he would be fighting for a relationship with me is what I'm more interested in. Um, And the fact that he doesn't have that answer would throw me off. Like, honestly, I'd be like, yeah. then what am I doing? Like, you know, and I'm I'm almost 30, and I don't want (laughs) to waste time anymore. Like, that, you know what I mean? Like, that idea of just, like, yeah okay, but what are we doing? Like the clock, you know, I'm not getting any younger here, dude. Like we're not 16. This is different if we were still in high school and you didn't know, then it's like, how likely are we still to be together after high school? I think in the timeline of the movie, at the point that this, you know, argument happens, they've been together like five months or something. Mm -hmm. And I think it's totally understandable to have been dating someone for five months and not know that you're going to be with that person forever. I think the thing is that he can't even, he's not even sure he can imagine the possibility. There's just like so many steps. And I too, I don't, like I totally empathize with him because I completely get what he was doing. I don't think he realized how unfair he was being to Emily and how in a way he was kind of leading her on since he was carrying around Mm -hmm you know, even if it's subconscious, this idea that he eventually was going to go through an arranged marriage, then he knows on some level that he's not going to stay with her. And I think that's an unfair thing to bring into a relationship. Mm -hmm. Not even that, like if you, but if you had talked about it, you know what I mean? Like, I think, I think Emily's response was more because she was blindsided. Um, Because at this point, Kumail has all the information. He has Mm -hmm. all of it. He has the fact that she was divorced. He has all of this info about her. But I think even more so, she even says, she's like, I know nothing about you. Like, you don't tell me anything. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that on top of the indecision is why she was probably like, whatever. But it like, I also understand that wanting to like have, (laughs) wanting to have all the information. I'm that person. Okay. I am so closed off. I am so guarded. So like I gather up all the information I can about someone that I'm dating and I give them maybe one or two nuggets (laughs) infrequently as as infrequently (laughs) as possible. And so like I get that from his perspective, but then I've also been in a situation where like that blows up on you. You know what I mean? Where you're like, fuck, like I thought, I thought I was giving you enough information, but I guess I'm not. And then and then I'm single, you know? So um, <laughs> and here we are. Just, yeah, it, I Anthony was uh, in the same boat. He, he, he said basically everything that you all just said. Um, so I, I got to see from someone else's perspective, like what it feels like. But for me, because I am living Kumail's perspective, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a matter of self-preservation. So like going back to what we said about like, you know, you, you lie so that you can like preserve, like you can be safe for the time mm-hmm. being. So for him, it was sort of like, this is good for now. Like at, like, at least I'm like empathizing with him in the sense that he is just doing what he, what he can possibly do right now to protect himself in the moment. Um, right. And he probably inevitably knows like, okay, one day I'm going to have to like break the news to like her and my family. But because he's so conditioned to like lie to his family, you know, that sort of is like, 
um, bleeding over into his relationship with Emily. Like, let's avoid the conflict for as long as we can and just, like, lie and cherish, like, what we can salvage right now. Yeah. So I I totally get that. I was – I think I was kind of, like, annoyed at Emily because I was in a relationship prior to Anthony where um, basically we had to keep it a secret from my parents because he was Latin. Um, he, he was Colombian American and uh, my parents were, you know, they were being racist and they, they said all these like things like, oh yeah, like, you know, he's, he's Hispanic and he's going to kill you whenever you make him angry. Jesus and um, wow. yeah, so my parents are like super problematic and, and we're <laughs> working on that. But um, so I had to keep that relationship a secret and that was a lot of lying on my part. Yeah. And he had to be okay with it. So I like, you know, obviously we're not together anymore, but I'm super appreciative that he was like understanding and he like rolled with the punches and, you know, like whenever I'd be like, Hey, whenever we're in a, an event together, like we would do shows together. We had to pretend like we didn't know each other. We had to pretend like we, we like didn't talk to each other when my parents were around. Um, and I was always super appreciative that he was going through that. I also acknowledge that's a lot. That is so much for for a partner to take on to like yeah. you know pretend like they don't they don't know their their girlfriend boyfriend whoever while their parents are there so there was something that I just sort of like I knew it was a lot for him but I also like felt like if you want to be with me like this is how it's going to be you yeah. have to lie you have to sneak around like you need to like sort of live like have this relationship on like terms that like keep me safe because again it's like a self-preservation thing so yeah, all of it sure. I'm sure people are listening and they're like this is insane and I had a <laughs> lot of like white friends be like why don't you just stand up to your parents why don't you just oh, like well. tell your parents what no. like you know what yeah sure and then like you'll be at my funeral next week so let's <laughs> let, let me just tell my parents how I feel yeah it just doesn't work that way in like yeah. a lot of Asian cultures so yeah that's yeah. just my perspective <laughs> you know that's really eye-opening to see well just the way that you that you're talking about it as like a self-preservation thing where it's like yeah if your parents are gonna talk about someone you care about that way of course you're gonna keep it secret like why would you subject yourself to that or anyone you know like yeah yeah that it makes a lot of sense I think that also kind of cuts to a part um of this movie so we all know she goes into a coma right we're all aware plot wise after they break (gasps) up yeah after they break up she goes into a coma um and we get to meet her parents Ray Romano and Helen Hunter. Uh, Holly Hunter. Um, They're great. First of all, stellar white parents. Love it. Uh, Love to see it. But um, there's She was in The Incredibles. What? She played Mrs. Incredible. Holly Hunter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And then, you know, Ray Romano. Um, From Everybody Loves Raymond, if you didn't know. Everybody loves him. Right. Um, so anyway, so we get to meet the parents, and, and it's a lot of just, like, hospitals going to, and you know, doc, trying to figure out what's wrong with her, blah, blah, blah. There's the moment where um, Ray Romano really doesn't want to be at the apartment, so he tags along to go to a comedy show that Kumail is performing in. Um, and there's that douchebag in the audience that makes the racist comment. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see the mom's reaction 
the white woman's reaction Mm -hmm. to racism. And that was something that, like, I I don't think I really picked up on the first time I watched it, but this time I was kind of like, oh, that's interesting. Because, um, you know, he makes this, this guy makes the comment, go back to ISIS, right? Clever, Mm -hmm. very original. Um, And Kamel just kind of powers through and he kind of just keeps going. Um, But what's the mom's name of this movie? I'm so sorry. I like Beth. So Beth has this whole back and forth exchange where it starts to get violent because she's like going to attack this guy for making these racist comments. Um, And it was just so interesting to me because like I never – I guess I never like really looked at it that way. I was like, oh, she's like defending this guy who dated her daughter. But like in reality, it's like like people of color, like BIPOC people don't respond the same way in those situations. Yeah. And like the it's not safety worth it. that Yeah, the safety you have as a white woman or a white man yeah. in Ray Romano's case, it's like you can do that and get right. away with it and just leave. Whereas yeah. like Kumail's kind of like, yeah, it happens, but like, we're, what am what am I supposed to do? Like, I can't get away with the same shit that you guys could potentially get away with in reacting. Yeah, um, yeah. And you also have the fact that Kumail tries to move on from it right during mm-hmm. his set, and he's performing. He's on stage. He has the mic. He's in control. It's and and it's already been established in this movie. That even if you're being supportive, heckling is heckling. You don't yeah, do yeah. it in a comedy show. And yeah. Beth like continues to interrupt him, interrupt Kamel as he's trying to move on to continue mm-hmm. to argue against this guy. Where it's just like, yeah, great, stand up against people who are being racist, but you also have to be respectful of the people who are actually the victims of this and like <laughs> yeah. let them take the lead. And Kamel was leading the conversation away from that and she right. kept it there um, and got kicked out of the club. So <laughs> I like, as, as you do. There, Holly Hunter was like I feel like well Beth her her character Beth like I feel like her threshold for bullshit was so low because like mm-hmm. remember she brought her iPad with her and she yep. was like researching <laughs> like her daughter was getting surgery the next day so I feel like her she was just so like her bullshit tolerance was just like not fucking there <laughs> that evening like she didn't even want to go right? right and then I think like Kumail like just from like a like a comedian's perspective too like I think he handled everything really beautifully like that's literally the shit they teach you in like if you take any stand-up comedy class like that's what they teach you to do when you're dealing with like a heckler like either you shut them down like with a funnier joke or like you keep moving or you you basically trying to get the audience back on your side so like technically you know (laughs) as a comedian like that was like some like primo shit Kumail good job (laughs) but yeah Holly Hunter fucked it up for comedy purposes apparently that that scene is also based on a true story with Holly Hunter at like a like a tennis game or something where she was like heckling like one of the tennis players so they like wrote that scene in yeah that's amazing Heckle a tennis player. I know. Like, what are you going to say? You can't hit that green ball, man. <laughs> or you can make it like really sexual, like, oh, looking good in those tight white shorts. <laughs> or Do some just, wolf whistles. You you scream every time they try to serve. You just scream <laughs> bloody murder, like right when they need to serve the ball. Yeah. Or when I it's need like to... really quiet, you're like, woohoo! Like yeah. when he's like really trying to focus. 
I think that scene is like really awkward, but it's also very funny. Like even at the end where Raymond Mano's character gets kind of like up in his face, he's like, yeah, that's right. I got levels, motherfucker. Like it's just, it literally, it, 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 it's one of those things that, and, and that's what I think this, mu- this movie does beautifully. It's like, it's so real, but also like life is real. Like even when, what? like, yeah, hey, well, not all in a simulation. Oh, okay, phew. No, 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 you're living in a simulation. I'm in the real world here. Okay. Um, real world road rules challenge number 800, because that's where we are. Um, but no, it's, it's a, such a real balance of like, even in the darkest of times, or even when like things are hella fucking cringy, there also is humor in that, especially yeah. like in the moment. It can be so traumatizing, and then 10 years from now, it's, like, a story you tell at parties. You know what I mean? Like, that was a thing that I did when I was in college, you know? Stupid, cringy shit, but look how hilarious it is, you know? Yeah. (laughs) and I definitely cringed for Ray Romano when he was, like, I got levels. Like, he was just so – I don't think I've ever seen him so, like, pathetic. Like, and I I think he did such an amazing job in that role because I actually felt bad for him. Like, I wanted to protect him. I feel yeah, bad for him, like, the whole funny. movie. I feel like immediately when you see Ray Romano, you just are like, oh, poor guy. Yeah. Like, something <laughs> something in your life went wrong in this in the world of this movie. I'm so sorry for whatever is going on with you. He's and like you know, even art boy. Camille bonds with him, and he bonds with Beth. He bonds with both of Emily's parents. What's um, the dad's name again? Terry. Terry. Ray ah, Romano. Right, Terry. <laughs> Um, fucking Terry. And at some point during all of this, Terry com- like crashes at Camille's apartment apartment because he has a fight with Beth, and he reveals that he once cheated on Beth and like told her immediately. And and he he tells Camille this um kind of the the point of the movie, I guess, where he's like he's like if you want to know if you really love someone, cheat on them, and then you'll yeah. know. And Camille's like, wait, what? And I think, but what he's really trying to say is that something big might happen, like you're like maybe cheating on someone, or she's in a coma because she's sick with a mystery illness, and it's if something big like that happens, it's gonna force you to decide whether you actually love this person or not. It's gonna really confront you with your feelings. And uh, instead of, you know, cheating on her or anything like that, uh, Camille's love is actually very sick and could die and he doesn't know what's going on. And that kind of Mm -hmm. is what brings him to that point, which made me think, what would I do in that situation (laughs) if I'm confronted with that? And that's Uh, when I realized that this idea is so ingrained in us that like, oh, something's big's gonna happen and you're gonna have to make a choice that I would have that in my head so I wouldn't even be reacting to the thing that's happening I would just be like like yeah I'm going with it because that means I love this person even if I don't actually love that person (laughs) (laughs) that's that's the right thing to do right (laughs) like I kind of like that's so funny because like the what was her name the the friend um emily's friend who sort of like pawned emily off to Camille. Yeah, yeah. like she was just like hey like i gotta go study can you take care of this and then like yeah. 
he got stuck with it but i feel like if not you know not stuck with it but like if the friend was there then she would have been in that situation too and she yeah, would have been like right. i have to stay now but <laughs> Yeah, it's clearly they weren't good friends because I feel like they're I mean, I have a I have a lot of friends, guys. I'm really popular. Um, <laughs> but I I do think that there's probably only like a handful of people that I would be like, well, we're staying in the hospital, you yeah. know, and like as someone who has frequented the emergency room, uh, I've been there quite a lot. Um, I actually have had like friends drive me to the emergency room I've had uh friends stay with me while I was in the ER uh you know like crazy stuff like that and I'm like oh my god like that's so and I mean I've driven a friend or two to the emergency (laughs) room like you know what I mean but I think you're right it does take a it's one of those things where like especially if you don't if you're not that good of friends with someone or like the relationship's not that serious I mean I had a friend who on a date with a guy um like they were sleeping and uh she got a gallstone and was in so much pain he like drove her to the emergency room stayed with her while she was there was texting her mom from her phone like telling her that she was all right and like all this stuff and I'm like would I do that like on a first date I'd probably like drive you to the emergency room but would I I mean I guess it depends on how cute you are (laughs) <laughs> if you want a future with them but yeah you know you yeah. never want to be the friend that like left your friend at the emergency room right yeah. like oh yeah I, I, you know I don't know that I would feel so guilty about that I have stayed for someone who wasn't really my friend like I drove that person to the emergency room and I stayed for them because I was like oh karma's gonna get me if I fucking leave <laughs> so gotta stay even though I kind of hate this person <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I mean I guess that kind of puts it into perspective a little bit where it's like okay you are confront you're staying because it's the right thing but you're not like I'm in love with this person now. Right. <laughs> like you're confronted right. with this big thing and you know what your feelings are you don't like this person very much and you're still gonna stay at the hospital with them so I, I guess I get I get that maybe I can let myself go from that <laughs> responsibility of thinking I'm gonna force myself into convincing myself that I'm in love with someone just because I try to help them I have a lot of problems I should go back to therapy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no you're good but I think also I think that contributes kind of to the end of their their romance in this movie because she wakes up they figure out her mystery illness right she wakes up and Kumail has had this life-altering discovery right because at this point he's told his parents about Emily Mm -hmm. uh which did not go well at all um and he goes in and she's awake and he goes in to speak with her and she is at the same level that she was at the four or five weeks prior to waking up, right? She, in her brain, she had just broken up with this guy Mm -hmm. because he was Mm -hmm. having all these secrets. And he's coming in and he's changed and he loves her and he wants to be with her. He even, like, later on does that cute little, uh, like, the little board. Show and tell. Yeah, his (laughs) visitor tickets and all the ashes of the pictures. (laughs) which is just creepy but still cute and um you know but she and she even tells him in that scene she's like listen you had this revelation I was asleep I didn't have you know that didn't happen for me um 
but that you can tell that there's still there's a possibility there's still something there like i don't think you can deny the chemistry between those two characters um yeah i like because they're meant to be together and it is like hope it does end on a hopeful note and and i think even with his family it's hopeful right because his Mm -hmm. mom at first is like you're not my son (laughs) Uh, and then Mm -hmm. like later it's like okay she won't look at him but she does want to she did like cook for him and make sure Mm -hmm. wants to make Mm -hmm. sure he's okay still um and you can tell like okay they're they're gonna warm up to it like because you know yeah it, in the credits, you get a little little special peek into their future. So. Yeah, right. their real future. <laughs> and I did I, read that in real life, um, Camille's parents didn't come close to, like, disowning him. You know, it wasn't right. the same kind of stakes. But I am curious, Suki, because you said that your parents didn't approve of your choice of me at first, like, how did that evolve? Are they? Are you still fighting against that, or is it like <laughs> they're slowly warming up to it? Or <laughs> it's kind of honestly, it's kind of like the end of the Big Sick, where, um, like you know, like my my parent literally word for word, like everything that Kumail's mom and dad said to him, like that's almost exactly what my parents said to me. You're not our daughter anymore. Um. You know how like Camille's dad is like goodbye forever, son. Like yeah. he, my my parents like literally said like so long, my child. May God protect you from harm. Like they literally said oh, that no. to me. It was so dramatic. Like you were sailing off to like on the <laughs> Titanic or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the honestly, like the entire end of the movie, like where he like goes to their house and he's like, you know, you can't. I'm not letting you cut me out of this family. Like that was like basically me and my parents. Um, so they, they tried to like disown me. They tried to say like, you're not my daughter anymore. And like, um, threaten me with all this stuff. But like, and I want to like bring it back to like, it's a tactic. Like it's all a tactic. Like, um, and I, I honestly, like, I don't know, maybe, um, Kumail Nanjani will, will listen to this podcast and he'll be like, you're wrong, Suki. But I kind of don't believe that they were chill about it. I think that's something that Asian people say to, to white people and news outlets to like make their parents not seem like the bad guys because they say that shit. They do that shit. It's like, I feel like all that came from a truthful place. I think that the parents are probably very proud of, of Kumail, you know, and like Kumail doesn't want to like dishonor them. So he was like, it wasn't that bad, but I bet it was that <laughs> bad because it was that bad for me. And I know it is that bad for a lot of other um, Asian Americans in that position too. So I like, I really feel like, yeah, like it, it's a lot of like word for word, like, yeah, um, you're you're not a part of this family anymore. But like what I loved about the movie was that he was like, and I said this to my parents too, is like, you can cut me out of the family, but you will always be my family. Like I think the exact line yeah. is like, um, I think it's interesting how you can cut someone out of the family, but you'll always still be their family. And I said that to my dad too. Like if you know, you you don't wanna be my father anymore, but like I will always be a part of your family and like mm-hmm. I'm excited for my future so I hope that you'll be a part of that too so like you're welcome into my life whenever you feel like it um and I think that like not to get like all like mushy gushy about it but I really feel like this is a rom-com about like Kumail and like himself like I yeah. think it's like like literally it's like about like self-love you know and like choosing himself at the end of the day because like mm-hmm. Emily is like in a coma for most of it and she's like the physical aspect of like his romance, you know, and his goal. Um, 
at the end of the movie, but like really like when he chooses Emily or when he's choosing his career, he's like choosing himself over like what his family wants. So that was like so powerful and just like so spot on to like, like literally if you took the script and I showed you the emails between me and my parents between like while I was going through (laughs) the fiasco with my engagement, it was like literally the same, like line for line, the same conversation. Wow. Do you think they were watching the big sick while they were emailing you? (laughs) They were like, "Mm, what should we say? Let's consult this movie. Possibly. And we'll just take the exact lines. No. (laughs) You know know what? I think it's really brave to make the story or like to really like take the reins and make the story about you. You know, the way that like Camille did in this movie where, yeah, at some point he stopped just like going along with what he thought he was supposed to do. And he was like, okay, I love this woman. I love stand-up comedy. I'm going to move to New York. I'm going to pursue my career, even though it's not what my parents want. And I think, you know, his parents, and maybe your parents too, Sugir, also caught up in that same kind of, like, those same kind of pressures. So so they are, like, they, they're, like, his parents in the movie take some time to move away from that because all of their lives they've expected things to go a certain way and for their children Mm -hmm. to be a certain way and that's not happening and so they kind of have to like bridge this gap between like how you know like he says like Camille says at one point like 1400 years of culture (laughs) like Mm -hmm. between how that is teaching has taught them that their lives are going to be and how their lives have actually turned out so I think Mm -hmm. it's also really like his parents are never painted as like the bad guys, you know, especially right. with how it is at the end of the movie where it's like you can see hope there where it's like, yeah. okay, they're going to still have a, a relationship that's different, but it incorporates the fact yeah. that he's actually being himself. Right. Yeah, like I think they they use those those scare tactics. They tell him like, oh, you're not our son anymore because that's what their parents probably did to them. Yeah. And then when they see him like not responding to that, then they're like, oh, we got to change our tune or, you know, and that's when the change happens. So like with in my case, too, like my parents were like saying all that stuff to make me break off the engagement, break off the wedding, etc. And then when they saw that I wasn't going to do that, they like eventually at the, at, you know, they never they never come to my wedding. Like, I'll just be upfront about that. But like my mom was sort of like Kumail's mom where like she was like sending me food sending me good wishes but like she wouldn't like talk to me so it's <laughs> it's a very complex yeah strange you know um I don't even know dynamic I think it, yeah I think it's a pro- it's a cultural product right of the way that you were raised there you being you know Asian American as opposed to having grown up you know in a different country your expectations are different you grew up in Florida, you know what I mean? Like you grew up in Florida and the what you were dealing with at 13 is different culturally than what your mom and dad were probably dealing with at that same age. So it's like you like you've lived your whole life in the reality of you know where you were brought up and stuff and they are having to like battle what they were raised as the thing that they've known their entire life with what now you're bringing them so like obviously it's gonna be difficult and like family relationships are complicated like I'm I have a complicated relationship with my family um and I don't have nearly as much of the like cultural pressures that you probably had to deal with you know what I mean 
Um, so if you just add, you know, complicated family dynamics and then you add cultural expectations and then you add being an immigrant in a new country, you know, it's like all this extra stuff. So like anyone who thinks it's just going to be like, well, actually, mom, I'm in love and you're just going to have to deal with it is deluding themselves if they think that that's exactly how it's going to just work out. It's just not. Yeah, for sure. And I like I love that they made the parents so like um, sympathetic too. like they, they, they had that moment where they're like, you know, your father had to repeat grad school. Like I mm-hmm. haven't seen my mom in 15 years. Like that's the stuff that like my parents say that a lot of parents mm-hmm. say, because like, you know, immigrants sacrifice so much to like make a future for their children. And it, it's, it's that moment that like really like, Oh, it just pulls at your heartstrings and it makes you so like, you feel guilty. Like, you know that they're right and you feel guilty, but then you got to remember like, but this is my life. You know right. what I mean? Like, Oh yeah. So it's just such a real <laughs> movie. I'm getting so emotional. <laughs> it was such a good movie. I, I love it. I love that you picked this movie for us because it's so personal and that's truly in the rom-com flex. Um, brand Brand. it's on brand yeah it's on brand (laughs) well like I I think that's what we like I remember you were going back and forth between what movie to pick and you were like well if you don't mind me getting emotional blah 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 and I'm like no that's what I mean I, I feel like this movie is the epitome of that right it's it's finding humor in you know darker situation or a more emotional situation and it's it's you know finding that love even though I think you're I do think that you're right I think the whole love story isn't necessarily between him and Emily it is between him like kind of figuring out what he wants and who he is and how he's going to pursue that Mm -hmm. so it's like that's a love story you know what I mean finding like self-love is love and it's important and you know finding that um while also encountering all of these like hilarious people um and these hilarious situations I feel like it's it's what we like to do here at the Rom Complex. So, <laughs> definitely. I, for, this is so stupid, but I read, uh, I was doing this course for work the other day, just through my job or whatever, and we had to read this thing about like um, complex problems and mm-hmm. diverse teams. And the way that, like, the more complex the problem is, the less efficient a team is going to be if they don't have any diversity, right? Because it's like, if everyone thinks the same way, has the same background, they're not going to be able to solve complex problems because they're not going to have all of these different, um, you know, perspectives and and ways of looking at it. So if you're taking a complex problem, you want to have a very diverse team, people who have different backgrounds, people who think differently, because that's how you're going to get all angles of the solution. And when you think about relationships and art and movies, all of these stories being told, it's like emotions are a complex thing. And if we're looking to movies like rom-coms and stuff to um, understand our own emotions better, we're not going to get the kind of you know, points of view that we need to grow if we're only looking at one type of story, aka yeah. white people falling in love. You yeah. know, oh, so yeah. it's Absolutely. like <laughs> I'm so excited to see more and more movies that uh, are written from people, written by people with different experiences, like Camille bringing in his whole background being the son of immigrants, um, and all of these different 
ways to approach stories that are new and fresh and teach us so much more about ourselves. And I think that's just going to keep happening more and more in the future, hopefully, <laughs> unless yes. the world ends. And I think that's the way we're going to, you know, this would be a good note for the world to end though. Right. You know? Like if yeah. we're good, if it, the world is going to like uh, blow itself up now, like we have so much good content, yeah. like so much yeah. diverse content from so many different perspectives like this yeah. is I I would die on this hill yeah. <laughs> I'd do it well that's the thing I, is I want more there's yeah. there's, there's never I, enough I agree I 100% agree no it's like I find myself gravitating like because we all know I love a good rom-com and I love the stereotypical like I, Shelby and I were just texting the other day because I was watching The Lost Husband on Netflix <laughs> which is a movie starring Josh Dumel and some other white girl you know it's mm-hmm. like it's a rom-com about white people and I was thoroughly enjoying it I was having a great time but I do find myself even more and more being like okay but there are more interesting stories like to be told and there are more like there's so there is so much content already like if we think that there isn't we're just not looking for it you yeah. know what I mean mm-hmm. the mainstream stuff yeah it's still pretty white right but you know there there are indie movies there are less you know less um like studio type films that are being made that are just as good and at they're accurately depicting you know love in different kind of cultures and and circumstances and stuff so right do it I feel like at some point the big sick was considered an indie movie I'm like trying to look that up now but which is insane to me because it was was like an Apatow vehicle go ahead sorry no you're totally right it was like an indie movie and then at Mm -hmm. Sundance I think Amazon bought it for like a lot of money like Mm -hmm. it was like a lot um yeah. because yeah. Camille like immediately there was like a bidding war over it and stuff and and um but Camille Nanjiani wanted the distributor to be someone who was going to put it in theaters um mm-hmm. like it was important to him to have this movie play in theaters uh which yeah. is great because that's the thing is like yeah mainstream art where the money goes is often to the same people doing the same stuff you know yeah. um mm-hmm. and so it's great to to see just you know a variety of stories yeah yeah it's so refreshing and I like the whole thing is endearing like the the father who was cast in it like what his name is well I'm I'm not gonna try to butcher his name I'm very sorry (laughs) but um Camille's like real dad was like if anyone's gonna play me I want this actor to play me and I think that's like an amazing amazing crossover between like like Indian movies and American movies. And I think the same thing happened in Crazy Rich Asians where they were like, here's like all our big stars from China and all our big stars from America and let's bring them together and like right. merge these these cultures, countries, et cetera. So I, I love I love where we are in film right now. Yeah. I think we're everyone's like, oh the golden age of film, but I think we're in a really juicy spot. And I'm mm. so excited to like share this with my students um my incoming like freshman students like I can't wait it is so important to have diversity when you're when you're teaching and showing like young like filmmakers like this is what you can do and here are people that look like you and and think like you and you know like it's just super inspiring I wish I had this when I was in college (laughs) for sure well, we're so happy that you came and talked to us. Yeah, Suki. thanks for talking. Um, thanks for before, having me. Don't stop talking yet, because we want to hear, um, do you have any, like, relationship advice for our listeners? Oh, that's right. 
for who? Sorry. Our listeners. Our listeners. Relationship advice. Yeah, like what's maybe something that you wish, you, like if you could go back and talk to like high school Suki or freshman year college Suki um, and give her one piece of advice for her love life, like what would it be? Oh my God. Um, this might be controversial, Ooh. but when you're young and they cheat on you once, end it and and fuck around like i i wish i fucked around more in college like i because i was sam knows this but i was in like a relationship for like seven years with Mm -hmm. with this guy and um he cheated on me a lot and like when i look back on it like i'm like i wish i would have like messed around more in college and like because i had like, I mean, I had so many opportunities, like so many guys. I don't want to be like, humble brag, whatever. But, she like, had so many boys up in her <laughs> I DM. Like, I could have, but I didn't. That. <laughs> and then this motherfucker cheated on me like all the time. So like, I just, I mean, you're young. Like if it happens once, just like whatever. There are plenty of fish in the sea. Like, trust me on that. Like yeah. you're going to find someone else that thinks you're hilarious and amazing. Also, my second piece of advice is like, <laughs> someone who finds you like hilarious like someone who like laughs at your jokes and like doesn't like make you feel like you're not funny and you're not good at what you do because you're amazing and you're funny and you're gonna find the right audience slash partner for you (laughs) yes I love it I love that I think that's great advice I think that there's a lot to be said about going out messing around and finding out what you like like you finding know, everyone finding deserves out a hoe phase. Like. <laughs> yeah. Everyone yeah. deserves everyone deserves a hoe phase. I'm so sorry, and like we we can talk about how we shouldn't use the word hoe because whatever. I don't care. I say it as an <laughs> empowering thing. Hoe yeah. to me is an empower a word of empowerment. Like go out and have have your fun because at the end of the day, you know, boys are doing it anyway. So like, why are you why are you denying yourself the fun of just like fucking around and like seeing what you like and what you don't like <laughs> when you could just figure that out and then you can find the love of your life later? Like it's fine, just do it. Yeah. Right. Everyone should do it because you then you Top. you don't have to be wondering what's out there. You know what's out yeah. there. <laughs> And it's not better yeah. than the amazing person that you have with you. It's usually so. trash, mostly <laughs> trash, especially here in L.A. So much trash. It's like a goddamn, like, garbage island is what it feels like a lot of the time. Isn't there a garbage island somewhere close by? Yeah, yeah. Out in the I'm sure yeah, there it's is. Like that. It's like that. <laughs> It's well, <laughs> Suki, this is uh, we're we're at the end. Uh, but before we go, is there anything you'd like to promote or plug? Um, anything you're working on that you want to get out there, or anything that you just really like or <laughs> that you want to tell yeah. people? <laughs> yeah. So I um, have an Instagram account called Two, like the number two, Two Buck Chuck Bride. Um, and it's basically at my personal account. It was initially my wedding account, but now I am exploring the intersectionality between money, love, and culture. I feel like there's so much of that intersectionality with weddings, especially, and it's about like non-traditional weddings, multicultural weddings, um, sort of debunking like the wedding industrial complex. And so the big sick came in during a time when, <laughs> when I was like really struggling with like wedding planning and like what it meant for my family. So I hope that 
um, it helps other women and women of culture work through like whatever cultural nuances that they're dealing with like during their wedding planning process. Um, I also am a script consultant. I am a professor of screenwriting, but I also read and um, give uh, critique on scripts. So my website is unitedstatesofsuki.com. If you have a script that you would like feedback on, I actually read the first 10 pages in exchange for food. So that's <laughs> feedback with Suki. She's a real, she's a real millennial, y'all. I love she, it. She's like, we'll read for food. Like she's just, <laughs> just feed me, just feed me, and I'll read your script. I'll do it. <laughs> Excellent! Yay. Yay! Thank you so much for coming, Suki. This was so fun. I love, Thanks I love for all having of this. me. You guys rock. I love this podcast so much. I'm blushing. (laughs) Me too. It's because I've had a lot of wine. Um, That's why I'm blushing. But also that. Oh, guys. Well, go ahead. You were going to say something. Oh, no. I was just going to close this up to tie things in a little bow. Uh, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. I certainly did. Uh, And remember. Keep falling in love. With yourself. Bye. Bye.